0: Should have told the man that he had a hearing problem as well. Didn't <laughs> I remember the first time I discovered that I had a hearing problem. Actually, my family knows this, but when I was in elementary school, they did a hearing test at the school, and I failed that test. And uh, they would say, "You know, what side are you hearing on?" I couldn't tell. They just couldn't tell. So they sent a report to my mother and said, you probably need to take him to a doctor, and she never did. <clears throat> so, so now I'm an adult. I'm in my probably mid to late thirties. <laughs> we have, no, at this, now I'm, trying, I'm pressing the story. <laughs> no, I do not make that claim now. We have moved to Texas to teach at Criswell College. And I'm living over in East Dallas, and I go to Big Town Mall. Remember when Big Town Town Mall wasn't existing? I'm just walking through the mall. And I stop at this tie store. I'm looking at neckties. And two girls walk up behind me. And this girl says to me, sir, you have the time. And I looked at my watch, and I turned around and said it's 9.30. And she looked at me, like I was crazy. And then I realized she was saying to her friend, Sarah, do you like that tie? (laughs) And I realized then that I had a hearing problem, but I didn't do anything about it. I have used that story many times. (laughs) So my hearing uh, impairment Brought me a lot of laughs anyway. So, anyway, we are in Psalm 111. So, take your Bible and turn there. Psalm 111. And when you get there, you'll notice it's a straightforward Psalm. It's only 10 verses. It really will not take us that long to get through. So, even though we ran over by a minute, (laughs) it won't be difficult to get through the Psalm. And this psalm is a hymn of praise for God's marvelous works, okay? In other words, the psalmist reflects on God's miracles and the things that God's done in the past, and he begins to praise it. Now, you'll notice that the psalm consists of ten verses. But there are actually 22 lines in this psalm, Okay? In other words, the verses are divided. Some verses are divided into two, and two verses are divided into three, giving you 22 lines. Each line in this psalm, in the original language, begins with a different Hebrew letter. Sequentially. So you have, you know, Aleph, Beth, Gemel, you know, and so forth. Now, since we are reading an English Bible, we can't see that. But for the original audience, this was done uh, to um, as a memory device, <clears throat> sort of an acrostic. It's going to help them memorize this psalm and never forget it. So it's a, a poetic device. So when you look at Psalm 111, you're going to see that it's a hymn of praise that is written in such a way to cause the singers to remember the words and remember the lessons, and then praise the Lord. So that's what this is about. So let's divide this psalm. And here's how I'm going to divide it. Verse 1, I'm going to call that the introduction. And I'll explain that in a moment. Then verses 2 through 9, that's the main body of the psalm, or the psalm. And then verse 10 is the conclusion. So we have an introduction, we have the body, and we have the conclusion. Now, let me give you some interesting features, point out some interesting features in this psalm. First of all, I want you to notice the repetition. Okay? Look at verse 2. The works of the Lord. You see that? The works of the Lord. Look at verse 3. His work. Look at verse 4. He has made His wonderful works. Look at verse 6. He's declared to His people the power of His works. See? Look at verse 7. The works of His hands. So, so you see this repetition of this theme, works. And that's what this Psalm's about. It's about God's works that lead us to praise Him. Okay? Now I want you to notice also a little bit about the grammar here. Look at verse 4. He has made. See that? He has made. Look at 5. He has given. You see that? Look at verse 6. He has declared. Look at verse 9. He has sent. He has commanded. You see that? These are talking about past events that God has done. These are God's actions. And these actions are what brings praise to our lips when we think about those. So, are you still with me at this point? So, let's run down the Psalm and see what it says. First of all, let's look at the introduction. Notice how it opens. First of all, my Bible has an exclamation point at the end of this first line Praise the Lord! That is a a statement or a shout of excitement, a a shout of rejoicing. Praise the Lord, he says. And then he gives us a resolution. That's what he does now, he just shouts out, praise the Lord. Now watch this vow, watch this resolution. He says, I will praise the Lord. So, notice he says, he just shouts out, praise the Lord. And then he makes a resolution regarding the future. In the future, he plans to praise the Lord. How will he praise the Lord? Look what it says. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. With my whole being. I will, today we would say, I will praise the Lord enthusiastically. With everything that is within me. That's how he will do it. Where will he do it? Look at this. In the assembly of the upright. And in the congregation. He will praise the Lord publicly. One thing to praise the Lord privately it's another thing to praise the Lord publicly. He will praise the Lord corporately with other believers when they gather together in the assembly. This could mean the tabernacle, it could mean the synagogue, depending on when this is written, uh, or in the temple, we're not sure, but he resolves to praise the Lord publicly. And this is a resolve that we can all do. Many of us praise the Lord privately, but what do we do when we get out there in the public? When other people are around, we should be praising the Lord and giving Him credit for things. So this is uh, a good resolve or a good talent to, to make. And then carry through it. Now we come to the body of the solid, Okay, He's going to tell us the reason. What leads us to praise the Lord? What's the cause of praise? Look at this. Verse 2. Here's the cause of our praise. The works of the Lord are great. They're magnificent. They're beyond expectation. They uh, are beyond human achievement. Uh, They cause you to sit up and and look. When it happens, you can't ignore it. That's how great and how wonderful His works are. And they're going to lead you to praise. Then He says this. How great are they? Look at this in verse 2. Studied by all who have pleasure in them. How great are they? They cause you to, to the cause, and then they cause you to say, "Wow, that was unbelievable! How did that happen?" And so you study his works. You start looking into his works. You try to figure out his works. They're so unbelievable. You know, they're beyond imagination. Studied by all, by all who do what, who have pleasure in them. Atheists do not study God's works. It's the believers who study God's works. We observe them, and then we seek to understand them. There's a book out right now, it's a two-volume book by Craig Keener, who used to teach at Eastern Baptist Seminary, and now he's at Asbury Seminary, major, major scholar. But he believes God. I mean, this is a scholar who really believes God. And this is my kind of person. He's written a two-volume book, about a thousand pages, simply called Mirrors he's examined every miracle in the Bible and then he examines all the miracles that he's been able to compile throughout human history. And this is an analysis of God's miracles. And this is a great example of what the psalmist says uh, people in his day were doing when God performed these great miracles. Then look at verse 3. His work is honorable and glorious. It reflects his nature. God is honorable. Uh, God is a person who's a glorious being, and his his works reflect his nature. If you want to know what a person's like, look at their work. What kind of a what kind of work do they do? So, if you want to know what I'm like, I can tell you how to find out. Go to school where I work and find out what. How I work in the classroom. Because my work will reflect my character, won't it? You cannot work day in and day out without your personality coming forth. And God's works reflect His character. He is honorable. He is glorious, it says in verse 3. And His righteousness in verse 3 says, and that word righteousness simply means His integrity endures forever. Forever. Now, in verses 2 and 3, we have present tense verbs. Notice the works of God are great, right? studied, His work is honorable, His righteousness endures forever. Those are all present tense verbs. Watch the purpose of this. Verse 4 He has made His wonderful works for a purpose. To what? To be remembered. When God does something, He does it in a way that's memorable. Miracles, if they're miracles, are memorable. Red Sea, are we still talking about it? (laughs) Yeah, we're still talking about it. Water coming from a rock, guess what? He makes His works to be remembered. He doesn't do anything willy-nilly. He has a purpose, and He wants His works to be remembered. So it's going to cause you to pause and think about it verse 4 look what else it says in verse 4 the Lord is gracious and that would be toward us and he works on our behalf his works are not just done for no reason he's not like a miracle worker and a sign worker just a magic you know magician who does tricks it Says, look at me his works are gracious he is gracious meaning toward us he works on our behalf And he is full of compassion. So his works are done to benefit us. And uh, to grab our attention, cause us to take pause, but there's something that's very interesting, and that is that we are a forgetful people. Um, His works are meant to be remembered, but guess what? We are a forgetful people. We are inappreciative uh, God can do something great, and two weeks later, guess what? We're complaining about God. And that's the nature of a human being. Uh, we're, of all God's creatures, we are probably the only ones like this. Now look at verse 5. He has given food to those who fear Him. He has given food to those who fear Him. To those who keep His Word. To those who obey Him. God gave us a covenant. Gave the Old Testament people a covenant. And he said this, if you do this, you'll have blessings. If you obey me, you'll have blessings. If you don't obey me, you're going to have a big problem. And so, guess what? Verse 5 says, he has given, he's, how did he give food? Manna from heaven. Didn't he do that? Quail. He gave food when there was no food. He did it on their behalf to those who feared him. Look at the end of verse 5. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. Now, if you've been in the class for any time we've dealt with Old Testament topics, you know that covenant is one of the major themes, right? In the Old Testament. You just can't get around. If you don't know that, I don't know where you've been. Because I try to say it every week. Because you need to understand that when God brought Israel out of, or the Hebrew children out of Egypt, and He formed them into a nation called Israel, He entered into a covenant an agreement with them. And he said, I will be for you. And but you need to obey me. They said we will. He said, because if you don't, he said, I'm going to be against you. I'm going to take you to the test. You're going to be punished when you're disobedient. I'm your God and you need to obey me. And they said we will. So God always takes care of his people. And you see there in verse five he's given food to those who fear him. See, he is in verse 5. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He'll never let the people down. He'll always keep his end of the deal. We don't keep our end of the deal, but he keeps his end of the deal. And his end of the deal is, I'll take care of you if you're good. Now, I have another part of my deal that I will carry out. I'll always fulfill this deal. If you're bad, guess what? I'm going to take care of that too. He always takes care of his deal. To those that fear him, he feeds them. How about if they don't fear him? He'll get their attention. And one day they will fear him. So this is what you need to realize. You have this covenant. So in verse 6 it says, He has declared to his people the power of his works. He has uh, shown us in a dramatic fashion how powerful he is. How powerful is he? Look at this. He's declared to his people the power of his work in giving them the heritage of the nations. So, God said, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. And guess what? You're going to march into a land that other people are living in, and it's yours. And he just makes it happen. That's how powerful he is. Nations cannot stand up against it. And they can't stand up against Israel when Israel is obedient. So he gives them the promised land. Notice it says that. In giving them. See, they didn't earn this. They didn't win this. Even every battle they went out and fought. They didn't win it on their own. It was God that gave them the victories. See, this is God's doing. All this is about what God does. And this is to be memorable. So they go into the promised land, and this is God's doing. Look at verse 7. The works of his hands are verity. And justice. They are faithful and they are right. God keeps His promises. His works are always based on His truthfulness and on His justice. He always does what is right. See? All verse 7, all His precepts, all His promises uh, are sure. All His precepts are guaranteed. If he says he'll do something, he will do something. So notice in verse seven that his works, first line of verse seven, are linked to his words, the second sign, uh, second line of verse seven. You see that? His precepts, his works are linked to his precepts. His miracles are connected to his promises. Everything is a fulfillment of his covenant. Look at verse eight. His precepts stand for how long? Forever and ever. They stand fast forever and ever. He never compromises His Word. You never have to wonder whether He'll ever go back on His Word. His promise is never out of date. As long as that Old Testament covenant was in existence, His promises were in existence. He never wavers and that's what he says. Look, they stand, how long? Fast, settled. Forever and ever. Now, if you know that, and you're an Old Testament Jew, why would you ever be disobedient to God? Why would you ever doubt God? Oh, God brought us out of Egypt just a little star out of here. Why in the world would you ever do that? See? And he's constantly having to remind them over and over again that uh, his word stands forever and they can always depend on it. We can depend on it too. And then he says, and they're done, at the end of verse 8, and they are done in truth see? and in uprightness. So there's this guarantee that we have. Now look at verse 8 verse... Is that where am I already? Verse 8? Yeah, verse 8. Now look at verse 9. He has sent redemption to His people. That means that He has delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. He's redeemed His people. He made it happen. Did Moses make it happen? No. God made it happen. He wants you to realize that God did this. This work of God should cause us to reflect on God's greatness and say, praise the Lord. See, that's what this whole thing is about. His works cause us to praise His name. Now look at verse 9. Into verse 9. <coughs> he has commanded His covenant. There's that covenant again. He entered into this agreement forever. Holy and awesome is his name. God has commanded and has, and has established this covenant forever. So there's a statement. God has established this covenant forever. And holy is his name. What's he trying to say here? Is his covenant forever. It's as good as his name. Right? My name is my bond. That's what he said. This is what we call a theology of the name. How good is God's promises? They're as good as his name. God has a reputation to keep and a name to uphold. And he's not going to allow his name to be par- tarnished. And he's always going to do what is right and in accordance with his name, which is his nature. What is his name? Well, look at the next verse. The fear of the what? Look. Notice all the capitals. Do you see that? Now go back and notice those capitals. Go back to verse 4. The Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Look at verse 2. The works of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Look at verse 1. The same thing. So, the Mosaic covenant that God established, establishes represents God's name or His nature and therefore we can depend on God keeping his word. Now, I want you to think about this. We live under the new covenant. I don't live under the covenant of Moses anymore, do I? Is the new covenant better or worse than the old covenant? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's better. Now, under the old covenant, God said, I'm going to deliver you from Egyptian bondage. Did he do that? Yes, God did that. He said, I'm going to take you into a land. Did he do that? Yes, he took them into the promised land. Okay. Now Jesus comes along and God establishes a new covenant. And the covenant he establishes is established through the cross of Christ. Christ dies on the cross and through that shedding of blood, God establishes a covenant. Which is a covenant that's not only going to be a promised land in Israel. But he's going to give us the kingdom of God on the entire earth. We're going to inherit the entire earth. The whole thing is going to be ours. How do we know that? Because after Christ died, God did what? Raised him physically from the dead. He's the first new man. He's the first person of this new humanity. He's establishing a new humanity. He's the last Adam. Adam was the first man of the first humanity. Now Christ is the last Adam. He's the man of a new humanity that God is creating that's going to inhabit this entire earth. And you know what He does? He's made promises to us. Can we believe those promises? We yes. should believe those promises. Has God performed miracles in our class? And four people in our class? Yes, He's performed miracles. They are meant to get us to praise His name. And not only that, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascended to God's right hand. He reigns over the universe whether people realize it or not. He is king of the universe whether they realize it or not. Most people don't. Our job is to tell them that he is the king of the universe and that they need to come under his reign and submit to him. And they too will become part of the covenant. And the promises will be theirs. And God then sent his Holy Spirit into our lives so that we could obey Him. Israel didn't have the Holy Spirit the way we do. That's why they floundered all the time. They, One day they were good, one day they were bad. One day they were faithful, one day they weren't faithful. But guess what? He sent His Holy Spirit into our lives that we may live a holy life and obey His commandments. And then one day we're going to inherit the entire earth. Now I want you to think about those two covenants for a second. The Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. One through Moses, one through Christ. When Jesus lived, the Mosaic Covenant had been in existence for about twelve or 1,400 years. From Moses to Jesus, about twelve or 1,400 years. It's a long time, isn't it? But think about this. Since Jesus, to our day, how many years? Over 2,000 years. More time has, has lapsed between Christ's day and our day than between this ancient event in Israel's history and the time of the New Testament. And he makes promises to us. And our memories are short. Because he does a lot of great things for us. But guess what? Like Israel, our memories are short. So he gives us things to remember these great events. For example, with Israel, after he led them out of Egypt, he didn't want them to forget that miracle. So what did he tell them to do? Have a meal once a year called the Passover meal. It would always bring your mind back to that great miracle. Guess what the Lord's given us? The Lord's Supper. Remember that new covenant. That's why I believe personally, and I know churches that have all kinds of different ways of doing this. But I personally, if I had my preferences or my rather, I would have the Lord's Supper much more often. Because it would force me to think about the new covenant that God established through Jesus Christ. So now we come to the conclusion, and look at verse 10, It says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The person who fears the Lord is the one who is the wise person. Because God keeps His word. In that old covenant, I told you His word included the positive word and the negative word, didn't it? The positive word is if you're good, guess what? I'm going to bless you, but if you're bad, what? I'm going to curse you. Now, if I know that God keeps His word, and under the old covenant there's a curse part, then if I'm smart, I'm going to fear the Lord. <laughs> right? And if I fear the Lord, that's the first step of being a pretty wise person. You have to be a jerk. <laughs> you know, not to fear the Lord, knowing that. So the starting point, see, that's theological language, a jerk. That's, <laughs> that's how I do things. So by, you know, in Dolly's statement, he makes things understandable to lay people. I don't know how to do anything else. I just that's that's how I speak every day. So that's why I say these things. So the starting point for believers is the fear of the Lord. That's the starting point. That's the first step in wisdom. And when you fear the Lord, you start making right choices. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what else it says? A good understanding. Have all those who do what? If you don't obey him, it's obvious that you don't understand. (laughs) You don't understand the covenant. So, uh, the one who understands is the one who keeps and does the covenant. So, once you understand the covenant, once we understand the new covenant, then we are in good shape. So, in the new covenant, guess what Jesus says? So, we had the old covenant, now we have the new covenant. In the New Covenant, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll what? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, guess what? I understand that, I think I understand that, so what should I do? I should keep His commandments. Now the commandments He gives us are not burdensome like the Old Testament commandments. He says, my yoke is light. his commandments are found in the Sermon on the Mount. To love God, you know, and love your neighbor as yourself, and take care of people. We can all do that, you know. Uh, we can be God's hands extended. So a good understanding uh, have all those who do His command. And so look what He says. His praise endures forever. So. The beginning he says praise the Lord I will praise the Lord and now he says his praise endures forever and his praise should always be on our lips." so that's Psalm 111 now look, by way of just an introduction look at Psalm 112 Psalm 112 is laid out exactly like 111 there's 10 verses but there's actually 22 lines and each one begins with a different Hebrew letter in the original language. And it follows the same pattern. But the theme of this psalm is different than Psalm 111. theme of 111 is the works of the Lord and praise. Psalm 111 ends with this word, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And look how Psalm 112 starts. It picks up where Psalm 111 leaves off. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who does what? Fears Fears the Lord. And so the theme of Psalm 111 is the fear of the Lord. And that's what we'll pick up next week. Lord, I thank you for your, your word. Help us to grasp how privileged we are to be under a new covenant. One that offers far greater promises. Not only temporal life, but eternal life resurrected life the power of the spirit that you've given in the end days to enable us to be obedient and bring glory to you in our daily lives help us Lord to take the new covenant and learn from the old covenant see that comparison and realize what a blessed people we are oh Lord help us to love you by obeying you in Christ's name Thank you.